Blog Talk Radio. I'm in Paris right now. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. No matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. Hello, hello everyone, and happy new 2009 to you all. Or as they say in Europe, 2009. Um, this is Helena Steine-Hornstein speaking to you again from sunny and blue sky Miami. And uh, we are uh, in the new year, and we have new guests coming up every week. This particular guest uh, I have with me today here on the show his name is Roberto de Villasis. He is a fashion designer, uh, one of the new trendy ones, an international fashion designer for the young, rich, and famous. And he's out working out of Hollywood, California, and Paris. He's meeting with me here, and we are going to speak about glamour, spirit, maybe the environment and fashions, of course, and how we can make the best out of our appearance. Robert de Villas is not only a, a designer, he's also a, a spiritual person. He has all kinds of plans uh, with his uh, artistry and with his life, and we're going to speak about that. So hang on for the next hour or so, and we will chat, uh, Roberto and I. So, Roberto, are you there? Yes, bon année from Paris. It's quite freezing and cold here, but here we are. So, um, we uh, hope that uh, everything is wonderful in your life and that um, your uh, business is going fine. Have you noticed very much of the economy in your field of line of work? Well, I, I think it's affected all of us, and especially you know the luxury business i mean it's uh it means not just it's not me included with all the other big houses Laurent is down 40% Prada is down 25 Valentino down 40 um you know it's it's a, it's a it's a really it's a global meltdown and it's not that people aren't buying i just think that you know i think the values um have changed and people have just also kind of realized that it's better to have less it's you know better to have things of better quality that will last a long time but they're going to buy less and i think that is the new reality yeah i suppose this is what we all are thinking about that to get better quality maybe this is a good thing that we are now looking into higher quality so we can keep things a longer time of course, this is what you see in Europe a lot, isn't it? Mm, yes, and that's, a, that's one of the reasons why I never really worked in America um, because I really am not, I do not approve of the disposable society and even in fashion of the trends that you know something's in fashion six months and then you have to have something else that I find absolutely absurd. And it's very, very, it's terrible for the environment. You know, things should should last from one generation to another, and you should keep them, and you should wear them, and whatever, whatever, whether it's an object, whether it's a painting, whether it's just a, you know, a scarf, it's it's not disposable. It shouldn't be. Yeah, no, this is, uh, uh, you know, something, and I remember when I was in Russia, how women there at the time, during the bad times, so to speak, how they were so well-dressed, and we were amazed how very well-dressed they were. And they explained that to me, that they took very great care in choosing fabrics. 
and it would take them maybe three years to receive that fabric after they had ordered it. And then they went to dressmakers. So they went for the classical styles and the high quality, and those suits that they wore a lot, they stayed forever. Mm. Uh, what made you start a career as a fashion designer, Roberto? <laughs> well, funny enough, you've you know you've just you know you've put the bullseye. Uh, I come from a long line of of my family from my mother from my Ecuadorian side, the Vilasi side, and that's where my name comes from. It comes from my great grandmother, and she was uh, you know she was a very beautiful, fashionable society lady, but independent, and she started importing fabrics into Ecuador from Europe justement for the ladies to be able to have super high quality fabrics and have their dressmakers copy the European designers. And, you know, and this was for the society set, no, in Ecuador. And then my grandmother, of course, is very beautiful. Uh, you met my grandmother many years ago, and she was very chic, very elegant. And, you know, we were brought up, I was born in Ecuador, in Quito. And um, and she thought that we were very uncivilized living in New York and Florida, and so we were always sent down to Ecuador for the summers, and she would have tea parties for us, and costumes were made, and we'd have this on the tips of the house, and you know our house is, uh, is at the foot of the volcano, and so it was all very impressive and very beautiful, and so this kind of drama and this flair was somehow been integrated into my genes. Hello? Hello? Hello, uh, Helena. Now I think we have a straight and better line again. Thank okay. you so much for calling back in. <laughs> so we hope it's going to, to work out. And again, as I said, we have Mercury in retrograde. That's the time when particular for me. Mercury in retrograde, it's uh, something you have to look up on the Internet. Mercury, which is the planet mm -hmm. Mercury, it goes backwards. And that's the time when communications somehow don't work properly. Uh, and when I travel during Mercury in, Mercury in retrograde, which uh, happens three times a year, not that I travel, but that Mercury in retrograde uh, is a Mercury in retrograde. And uh, uh, when I travel during that time, I always make sure I have plenty of time or double the time I usually have between the connections because something usually goes wrong. And I remember last time I flew out to Mallorca, uh, I, uh, it was also during Mercury in retrograde, and uh, I made sure I took an earlier plane, and because of that, I could make my connection back to the States. Otherwise, I hadn't, because the whole airport was in disarray. So anyway, I loved your story with your grandmother, and um, I uh, am not... Oh, there's so many, yeah. My grandmother... Yeah. She was such a special woman and such an elegant lady. And, of course, I know your mother quite well. And uh, your my mother... My very fashionable. She was a designer, my mom, as well. Now she's retired, but, you know, she made all those very beautiful accessories in, in Italy and sold them to all the top stores in America and in Europe. So I've been well-groomed as a designer. Yes, and that is nice, to know, so uh, it it stays in the family, or it comes from yeah. from your in your blood that you are a fashion designer. Yeah, and my aunt, you know, you know, my aunt, she had a shop in Bar Harbor where you are as well for many years. So we've, you know, I've been brought up in, you know, with 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 sequences and fabrics and <laughs> fur and left yeah, and, and 
Your mother was, of course, also a diplomat. She was uh, the consul of Ecuador in yes. Miami uh, yes. for quite some time. Yeah, and that's exactly actually what my mother wanted me to continue and go to, you know, to university and become a diplomat. And, you know, they totally did not want me to enter into fashion because you, you know, they just, they, they just said, listen, Roberto, there's, in Fifth Avenue, there's 35,000 designers. You know, what are you going to be doing in that business, you know? And, yeah. um, and so I applied, you know, to uh, these Ivy League schools and because I, I had to. But I also applied to Pratt Art Institute because they had a talent competition, a uh, national talent competition, and Pratt is a great art school. And so I applied, and I was a finalist, and I won free schooling. So ah. that's how I managed to slip into, like, going to school for fashion. Yeah, and when I saw you uh, as as a, as a teenage teenager, you actually looked already like you were in the diplomatic service. You were very stately, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and as you said earlier, you were a little chubbier at the time. How is it? Uh, you look very, very good uh, nowadays. Uh, oh. How how do you maintain your figure and and your body? Well, I pretend that I'm 21, even though I'm 40 now. <laughs> and uh and you know and 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 the weight and being healthy and fitness is you know to have a healthy mind you have to have a healthy body as well especially if you you know if you're lucky enough that you know you have everything that's working and you know and you you have a you can have a good diet and it's very important but you know I've always had a battle with the weight you know as you remember I was a chubby little boy and and it's always you know and I grew up as you know being called fatty and it was, you know, it's, it was, so in a way, I don't know, in a way then I grew out of it and then I became thin again and then I became very, you know, very beautiful boy. But um, that that image of me being fat always stayed with me and I'm always having to battle five pounds here, ten pounds there. And so I'm like on the Oprah Winfrey diet. I go up and then I have to go back down. Yeah. You know, this is uh, happens to so many people. Uh, and I know in my case, and and I, my body looks pretty good, but if I eat oh, you bread, look great. thank you, thank you. Yeah, I have a, you know my shape is pretty good, but if I eat too much bread, if I eat a loaf of bread, you know that I shouldn't, I have that exact amount on me, not mm. in calories but in size. You know, <laughs> that's the gluten. You see, it's yeah. not necessarily the bread. That's the gluten. You have to eat gluten. That's gluten. So bread. I must have probably very strong sensitivity to uh, to yeah, the yeast. gluten. You're allergic to yeast. Most of us are allergic to yeast. I am as well, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm allergic to yeast, and I think apparently 60% of people. It's a huge percentage of people that are allergic to yeast, but nobody knows it. You know, because they just have a little bit of bread. And some people have more bread, but uh, it affects them and they blow up. So now we watch our weight. And how do we make ourselves look more glamorous, Roberto? Ah, how do you say make yourself glamorous? It's a funny word, actually, <clears throat> glamour. But glamour is definitely an exaggeration of, 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 of one's beauty, you know? And fashion is, you know, what, you know, fashion means the current taste for dressing at our time. So every period has its own taste, and glamour today. What you know? What is glamorous today? I mean, I ask myself the same questions actually. 
um, I think it's very glamorous to take care of yourself and to, you know, to be healthy, to 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 look your best. You know, we were brought up as we we're, you know, I was brought up very old school as you were old school. You know, me from a background of South American, you know, European is that you know when when you dress, for example, to 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 go out, you don't dress for yourself. You dress, you actually dress for other people. You you dress for the occasion. You dress out of respect. And then, and that that is, let's say, a conservative way of dressing well. Glamorous would be like a little bit just, you just go, you just hit the edge and you just go over the top. You know, maybe you put on, you know, a certain pair of jewels that go in a very interesting way with uh, with a certain dress and just maybe the way that the shoes go with the jewels and the way your hair is done and all those little factors together make some make somebody glamorous, you know. But of course, the most important is the personality. You you know the, yeah. the personality that it has to be glamorous. Otherwise, and it's just superficial. Makeup to go with it too. Do you need makeup? Do you feel to be glamorous? I don't think so. I met many very glamorous people, whether it's men or women, and they didn't, didn't necessarily have any makeup. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's nice to hear. So you are a natural person. You're into natural things, aren't you? Do you have yes, any plans I, I to do? And uh, I heard you were going to make a spiritual center in Ecuador. Well, this is you know one of my you know, one of my dreams is um, is to move to Ecuador, it's to semi-retire in the beginning. Um, because I'm, I'm, since I am Ecuadorian, I can actually, and I'm born in Ecuador, so I can actually become president of Ecuador, but I have no, I don't want to be president of Ecuador, but I do want to be the governor of Galapagos. So I had my mom ask, you know, to, to the family to find out whether it was possible that I could apply to be governor, and because I'm always, you know, I mean, I just think that would be, you know, it's very, for me, marine conservation and the, and the animals, it's very important and they're overdeveloping Galapagos, and even though it's very well protected, it's still too many people. So I found out that actually it wasn't so easy to be the governor. I have to become a colonist first, and that means that I have to live there for five years. So I thought, well, maybe in the future, you know, maybe in about five years or ten years, you know, I can move to Ecuador and become a colonist because by then I will, you know, I want to retire early. I don't want to be like Karl Lagerfeld and be working at the age of 70 years old, you know, doing all that, you know, I think you have to kind of young have some space. But in any case, so I want to go out there and have, you know, and maybe just buy some of these buildings that haven't been built so nicely in, on the island and refurbish them and using, uh, you know, eco uh, an, an eco aesthetic and, and aesthetics in the sense of a philosophy and the way things are done. And turn it into a place like a retreat. I would, I would say it's more of a cultural retreat, but and I just and of course it's spiritual because you're in the middle of Galapagos, which is terrestrial paradise. Once you go to Galapagos, you one realizes that Earth that we live on is paradise. One doesn't have to look for it anywhere else. That's so well put, uh, Roberto. That our Earth is what we make it to being, and it is a beautiful world in a way. Well, in many ways, and all over, if you start to look at this world. Oh, everywhere, everywhere. But Galapagos is quite different. It's quite special from other places because, you see, the animals have have never been hunted by man. And uh -huh. in a way, so let's say they haven't taken advantage of it. 
the way you arrive there, the energy is different. The animals are your friends. They actually do come up and communicate you. You know, the birds come up and they are, you know, they're not scared and they're not looking for food. They're interested in you. Who are you? Ah. And it's, and it's a very, very peculiar, you know, I mean, if you're very sensitive to communication or to things, to energy, whatever, you realize that these animals are different from other animals anywhere else I, I've seen in the rest of them. Yeah. So but you're breaking up a little bit, and we have a little oh, bit of problem with the connection. Well, we will see how well, it works afterwards. You know, now, what that, is not so yeah, clear. maybe you can turn around <laughs> and go further, <laughs> uh, you know, a little further north or, or, or so. And what does uh, spirituality mean to you? Do you have any feelings about now? I don't mean religion because religion is right, totally opposite. Different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I I think who said it the best probably is Osho. Osho, as you know, is the great um, Indian. Um, wasn't a theologist at all. He was a, you know he's considered one of the great philosophers of our of our century, and uh, he's the one who brought. Eastern mysticism to the West, and he said it very simply. He said, in a way, spirituality is this connection that your own personal contact with God or the higher spirit. If you don't have that personal contact, that communication between the two of you, then the you then you don't have anything. You can't go through a religion or through a, a you know an, another source. You have to go directly to the source. And I think that's what spirituality means, is that you have to discover that spirit within yourself to be able to contact the higher spirit, God, or as, let's say, the Ecuadorians, the elders, the shamans, you know, they say, they call him the creator, because everything we see around us is his creation. It's a perfect mind, an intelligent life force that has created everything, and it's perfect. Yeah. And that's, that's love. For me, that's my... You put that opinion. so extremely well, Roberto. You are a real philosopher. So I could see when I saw you as a teenager that I said, oh, this is the state statesman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you have to come to Galapagos and, and vote for me as governor. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> anytime, anytime, yes. Because you really have a deep sense of things. And... Uh, uh, that's why with being in fashions also, you must have a deeper meaning with your, with your fashions. I've seen your fashions, and they're absolutely, absolutely beautiful, beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, in a way, they are. They're, they're, they are, uh, I, I actually, I'm my biggest admirer, <laughs> and the biggest admirer of, of the things that I create, because I'm a channel, actually. I realized that, you know, after many years of working, that... If I just almost go into a meditative state, uh, they actually come, you know, these things are created on their own. I am a channel. My hands work on their own in my mind. It just, just kind of goes. And, you know, after a few hours of working, I'm like, wow, look how incredible, you know. And I'm able to um, channel and figure out actually who these pieces are made for. That's why I went back to now just concentrating on doing haute couture. You know, I used, before I used to design for Cavalli and Missoni and all these very, very big high fashion houses and it was a dream I always wanted to do, to go to Europe and do the red carpets and 
uh, not red carpets so that I'm doing now, but to do the uh, the catwalks and you know be you know voila among all that world. And I and of course I enjoyed it, but it was a very I really didn't have such a great satisfaction. I, I say that it, my soul wasn't really pleased at the end of it, and um, and I had a big fall from all of that because. You know, I was just into this world of kind of vanity, and I wanted to leave always. And then one day, I, you know, I I stopped working. I didn't want to work in fashion anymore. I thought it was horrible and the most superficial people, and that it was just, you know, it was just like the devil's work. And then one day, um, I just had this, you know, message from God, and He says, "No," He goes, "Roberto, you have to work because you have to work in fashion, and your mission is." you know, to to glamorize spirituality, to glamorize the spirit. That it's it's not necessarily to be spiritual means that you have to be Franciscan and wear a cloth, you know, and yeah. or be under a shell, a black shell like the the priest, you know, I was brought up very Catholic and so being brought up very Catholic in a way we're brought up like not to you know, to show very much your wealth or Actually, you know, you have to be poor. You know, the the the, the poverty is uh, is next to godliness, and that's not really at the end of the day. God doesn't want us to be poor and to look shabby, and you know, He doesn't want us to judge people by its cover. But he, you know, he's all the elements are here, and He wants us to be beautiful and glamorous. And why not? It's beauty. And you know, it feels so much better to be beautiful and glamorous. And those people who feel they are not beautiful. They're still beautiful. Uh, look at Barbara Streisand, what she did with herself. Oh, you know? yeah. She was incredible. I mean, she is incredible. But again, that's the spirit. You see, a lot, she was a very, you know, even when she was very young, so you could see, okay, she was very young at the time when she, you know, started her career and a lot of people didn't find her good looking at all. Like, she was not a beautiful person. But she, her personality, her spirit is so beautiful that and she took care of of her body in a way of what she felt was not good, you know, for instance, the nose or whatever it was, I don't know. But she didn't try to hide anything about herself. Exactly. She, she was showed confident. what she was. Yeah. No. For me, that, that probably somebody like Barbara Chesney is what I would consider to be like a, 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 a warrior of beauty. You know, they were born with certain, let's say, that might be considered defects because they're not under the... The, the golden rule of harmony of the the way the the eyes and the nose and the mouth and you know all of that she does not she's out of harmony but somehow or other she's glamorous there a lot that's a glamour she really is she really really is and um, I remember uh, way way back I uh, saw a film and ordered it and it was a little old and she was dancing on top of a mink coat. <laughs> <laughs> with her high heels into the mink coat, and uh, she looked so glamorous just doing that, you know, being on mm. top of the mink coat. And I think I saw it in Sweden, and that impressed the Swedish people. Oh, she's dancing on top of a mink coat. Oh, mm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> Scandalous. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> At that time, uh, evidently. Now, what fabrics do you go for, and what fabrics do what for people, and what's good for people? You know. Mm. Um, the most important is to always use natural fabrics. You know, and right now the consensus is that if you want to help the environment, for example, the best is to is to wear linen. 
because linen uses the least amount of water compared to cotton. Cotton is very nice and lovely, and we all love cotton too, but it's the amount of water and energy and the fact of you know these these workers who are whether they're in Egypt or India or whatever their their conditions to collect the cotton is is extremely difficult you know it's almost back to the slavery that we had in America um linen is much easier to process and uses less water so that's really the one to go to and then like that's like great for day and then like for evening silk i mean other than the fact that we have to sacrifice all those little um butterfly worms you know but um we get over that Silk is uh, is, a, is a magical element. It was always worn by kings and queens because it retains energy, in the sense that you know uh, it's you know if, if for example you know as you know if you go skiing, it's the best thing to wear is to wear silk underwear because it keeps you fresh and keeps you warm. It's very light and it's very resistant and it lasts forever and the colors are magnificent. And if you could actually in the earliest times before silk was even uh, worn. Um, the, the all of the early relics, like the idols and the temp in the temples and everything, would be always wrapped in silk. So there is definitely those are my two favorite. Let's say at the moment, uh-huh. silk uh, does it help you to have silk in several layers, or should you have a thick? I wear silk in layers. Yeah, yeah, I always wear like layers. I always wear like like maybe like a silk camisole, and have like another silk thing on top and. But I personally love cashmere, but um, <laughs> that's just <a dream. laughs> so yeah. Just the thing, the best is is to always you know have you know to never buy anything synthetic. Basically, just you know just just cross that out. No product plastic, for example. You know, yeah, what does that do to our pores? You know, uh, with well, the, the 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 you know the problem with all the plastic fabrics is that first of all it's made out of petroleum, it's made out of oil, it's a very messy process. And then second of all, your skin does not breathe. So everything stays inside. And, you know, your your skin has to breathe in order for it to be healthy because it's at, it's filtering all the toxins out of your body. So if you're wearing these synthetic clothes, you know, whether it's polyester or things like this, it's very unhealthy for you. So that makes a difference for your underwear then if you can, your, your skin you cannot breathe. If you have the yeah. synthetics, my God, I yeah. can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, most um, and mostly everything is made in in synthetic, so it's it's really no, it's not good. You know, so, so, uh, that that could of course maybe explain. Silk uh, is the best. Silk underwear yeah. is the best. Well, yeah. It's very expensive, but it's the best. Otherwise, yeah, it's don't wear anything. <laughs> As the French do, <laughs> yeah. no underwear. <laughs> So, well, you, I think you once told me, well, you you can be glamorous even being naked, but of course it's not very practical, is it? <laughs> so, um, but this is kind of fun to joke around with you about fashions and so on. When did you, uh, what, should, what should I ask this? What are your most recent uh, uh, shows that you have had in public, so to speak? Fashion oh. shows. Well, and Presentations we had, I... of your fashions. Yes. Well, the last show I had was actually my debut Okutur show in July in 2008 at the Karsten Grev Gallery. The, the gallery is one of the most famous galleries in the world. It represents, you know, Louise Bourgeois and Richard Hamilton. You know, it's a very old school gallery from the late 60s. And for the first time, the the, the gallerist is the 
the daughter Judith Grav, and she is very new young blood and wants to wanted to do new things with new artists, and she created uh, an art show called Eco Wanted, and she uh, made a selection of artists from all over the world who were working with uh, ecology as the theme of their work, as their body of work. This so, was the what city again? Paris. This was Paris. In Paris, okay. And it was never it had never been done before in Paris a show like this. So the so the installations were you know was with photography. So I mean it was all very very beautiful, but in a way like a tragic comedy. So you know there were pictures of icebergs that are melting. There's the you know the oil spills in Ecuador, the acid rain from Nigeria. Um, everybody working with these different elements, and I was invited because I work a lot with yeah, with this whole concept of ecology, couture being actually very ecological because you are not part of this mass production scale. You are making unique pieces. Everything is handmade, and um, it's part of what I would, what is called the slow movement. That is, you know, a parallel to the ecological movement is the slow movement. Anyway, so that was my show, and we had a an amazing rock band from Paris called Karma Stone who did specially commissioned music for it. It was a performance. You can see it on YouTube. If you go to Roberto de Villasis, um, Paris Couture YouTube, uh, you'll be able to see the show. That was really fun. And then the big show, and then we had, in order you know, to be perfect, we had uh, in May, just before that show, three months, Norman and Lynn Lear, who are very big patrons of the arts in Los Angeles, um, Norman is a very, you know, very uh, important figure in the American society in a way because he was a political activist, um, very liberal, and he started all these television shows in the 80s. Yes, um, Norman the Artist is a very, very big name. What was the big and of he did uh, All in the Family? I all think. in the Family, you know, yeah. because he all of a sudden on TV became an art form. It wasn't just entertainment. They were talking about politics and so, so, sociology. It was very important and. You know, from the and different strokes he did as well. For example, which was you know, imagine you know this white man adopting two black children, and you know, and this is in the 80s, no, late 70s. So he really did these very radical shows for the time. And now he's still producing incredible things, but now they're movies. No, he, he, he did Dreamgirls, um, and Matrix, um, Beauty. I think that's the other one, the, the, the Disney one as well. So, in any case, you can tell I'm a very big fan of Norman Lear. And he, I mean, imagine, I mean, he, I mean, no, they're amazing. And and Lynn, who is so he presented wife, the show for you. Yes, he hosted because they're very big supporters of of talent and and artists. And uh, Lynn Lear, we became friends. She was one of my couture clients. She's like Roberto. It's incredible what you do. We need to present you in Hollywood. And they graciously hosted the most beautiful show for me in their home, which they had never done before. They never opened up their home for something like this which was complete madness. It was like, you know, my crew, there was only 80 guests allowed. It was very VIP. Um, and I had 100, you know. I mean, so we had like, we ended up having 200 guests. But 100, my 100 guests were part of the show, you know, between the models and the crew and the filming. So it was a very big event, that one. And uh, and then one of my very dear friends, uh, Her Royal Highness, the Princess Padmajar Mawar of Udaipur, who also was one of my clients and we became great friends, she and is what country? Was, from India? From India. It's the, yeah. They are the Mawar family. It's the oldest royal family in the world. Uh, they how have old? Been, do you know how old that family yes, is? It's six, yes, it's 612 A.D. Unbroken oh. lineage. Yeah. Very spiritual family. Imagine, they are the only Indian family that 
um, their titles, they are kings and queens, their titles uh, is Maharana, and Maharana, you know, Maharana means, um, normally, sorry, normally a Maharaja is a king. They, the grandfather changed their titles to Maharana, and that title means custodian of the kingdom. Because this is how spiritual they are. they are. They decided that they were no longer kings or queens. Only God can be king and queen. They are just the custodians. That's, that's, that's very nice. That's unusual for a royal family, you know, particularly way back. And they are so, and they're so unusual. They, and they are. I mean, I have, you know, been, you know, very fortunate enough to be friends with a lot of royals in Europe and, you know, and abroad. And they are, for me, the most special. They are, you know, just so, with, with a simplicity um, of spirit, but at the same time, you know that they're such old souls. They're so elegant, the way they are with everybody, from, you know, from the caretaker to another visiting royal. They treat everybody the same. It's, it's really, I'm like so blessed that I, you know, even have her as a friend. I'm like, really? <laughs> Yeah, that, that so, sounds wonderful. Oh, very special. And I was supposed to, I mean, I was supposed to go, now I'm talking about politics. I was supposed to go and have a fashion show in India. I got canceled with the whole terrorist bombing because I was supposed to have a show for him for his birthday. I promised to have a show for him. He's like, oh, I would love it, and da-da-da. So we were all organized to go. It was on December the 10th, uh, his birthday, December the 11th, and then the bombing started. And so, you know, in any case, we all of us, you know, it was just too, it would be too high profile for me to go there in the middle of all of that and have a show for him. So unfortunately, couldn't do that. And then I was supposed to have a show, imagine, at the Taj Hotel in March. And that was like all scheduled. I was a guest of the Indian Fashion Week. Um, and that's cancelled as well. So I have been—I have definitely been hit by all of the crises left and right. But this is what is happening in the world: that we are part of the world, all of us. And I think we forget that it's not just people here and there, or some people who are having a tough time. We're in this together. We are, for the first time, really noticing, at least in a few. After World War Two, we are noticing that this world we have to stick together mm-hmm. because uh, we are so tied together. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I mean, I'm having also, you know, I'm having my problems as well. You know, cash flow problems, and my some of my clients are late in paying, and I understand, and I end up being late in paying somebody else too. You know, it's all kind of connected. You know, so we're just like, oh. But, but um, fashion designers, you know, you know they, as they move ahead, they have uh, they have problems. And I know uh, Calvin Klein, uh, he almost had to close down at one point, and that was when everyone thought he was doing really well. So uh, it, it, it is a market where you're very dependent on on spending. On oh yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, that's, I think, a little, you know, one of the reasons why my family didn't want me to go into this business was because they know actually what it means to be in this business where, you know, you actually have so much money at risk out there, you know. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's really tough. Like, for example, I think one of the world's best designers today is this young boy from London called Alexander McQueen. Alexander has been bought out by one of the large companies, the Gucci Group, about a few years ago. They've invested over like $40 million or $50 million in him in the last few years. They still are nowhere near getting back even that initial investment. It's, you know, it's not easy. (laughs) Life isn't easy. You know, we're here to learn. (laughs) That's why we're listening to programs like this. 
what um, what we can do with our lives. But we all agree, both you and I and uh, people out there, I hope, that it starts from spirit. And this is coming back yeah. all the time now. It's like like some kind of quiet revolution out there that we are returning to spirit. It's it's happening. And I've been working on this for a few years, but now it's like it's part of nature in a way, or human nature. Yeah, that I think it's always, it's always been there. I mean, it's, I think, you know, it's just certain countries uh, maybe have it more than others. You know, like I always say, like, if you're born in India, if you just, you know, even if you're in the lower caste in India, somehow or other you are on a higher plane, you know, because... Yeah. It's just you know somehow or other it's, I don't know I just I just feel that way about about the about the Indians and also us in South America the Europeans and Americans as well it's just you know one just gets a little bit lost I think in the whole pursuit of money and you know power and sex and you know all these things that you know are part of human nature and always have been it's just this incredible wealth that the world has seen since the Second World War, just maybe kind of, you know, threw everybody off a little bit. I mean, but me too. I grew up a completely affluent life, you know, with you, Helena, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. <laughs> yes, we lived well. <laughs> we lived, you know, incredibly well. We still live yeah. well. But, you know, there, you know, in those times in the 80s, we all had these huge mansions on the waters and the beaches and, you know, and Mercedes and staff and one never, ever, ever, ever dreamt that we could yeah. have anything other than well, actually we always dreamt that we were going to have more <laughs> I was like well where's the private plane <laughs> you know? yes it wasn't uh, the the foundation for happiness and I saw that myself and uh, you know I was amazed here I could sit on my 100 foot yacht and be served a nice drink and look around and, and people waved at you because they thought you were in this beautiful boat and this you know, we had this beautiful yacht you must be important and it didn't give you any happiness, really. Mm-hmm. It, I'm not saying uh, you cannot be happy, and, but it, it's not the reason for, for for happiness unless you already have it within you. So you could, yeah, you can have the big yacht or the big mansion and be happy, but it still starts within you. Yeah, absolutely. It's just transitory. I mean, you know, that we learn from the Eastern mystics, you know, is that... That's that's just all passing and going, all these pleasures and things like that. It's if you're not if you're not really happy, that, that's not going to change. You know, getting all these material things will do nothing but make it worse. In a way, yes, and you cannot have enough of the good toys or the good things. Uh, you just want more and more of it. Uh, somehow trying to make turn that into happiness, but that's not again where it starts. And yeah. I've had. Uh, businessmen come to me and they've had the big yachts and the many cars and the mansion and the many ex-wives and everything else and they have come to me and said I'm not happy what shall I do and I said you have to work with the light and then they meet you they don't they want to see the so-called white light and they don't so they don't they don't believe it <laughs> and I have to kind of teach them about the white light and spirit and everything else and it's not immediate, and that is what they uh, have trouble understanding and accepting. I would say mm-hmm. that's that's very true. And I think you've you've gone to the you know I think to the root of it is is that it's a personal experience. 
Yeah. You know, and there is an, an initiation. Some people are naturally connected, as we say, or conscious, you know, and other people aren't. And that it, and it, it takes a certain education. And sometimes people do have to go through, you know, their personal paths, and they have to get hit the rock bottom to realize. You know that actually there is a spirit, and I, I think that I think the number one readers know of the Bible are all in prison. No, I've read this somewhere. I don't know whether it's true or not. But it's yeah. you know through tough times that you you know that you have to discover something more than just material wealth. Uh, this is so true, and it's not until tough times are there that we're beginning to pray, you know, for help. And it's like when you're drowning, you, then you say, oh, God, God, yeah, help. God, yeah, exactly, exactly. But you forget God before, you know. <laughs> before but we're definitely happens. in that situation, you know. I mean, right now everybody's only talking about the economic meltdown. But, you know, what we've been going through in the last 10 years is an ecological breakdown. I mean, the world is, you know, is really at the tip of, of, of finishing, you know. I mean, glaciers are melting. I don't know what Gore said last, but... They had thought that it was, they were going to melt in about 20 years. Now they're, they're just, it's going so fast. And, um, you know, the, 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 the rainforests of Brazil are still burning, and that's causing, you know, it's a terrible situation as well. And I just know, you know, I work with, a, like, a marine conservationist, Global Ocean, which is a friend's, um, it's a friend's uh, charity for marine conservation. It's on a political scale to help stop killing the whales, because now the Japanese want to kill the whales. You know, and that's, it's, I mean, it's just horrific because, yeah. you know, why kill the whales? I mean, you know, but, uh, and, and the Japanese are trying to, I mean, I have nothing against the Japanese, but this is a terrible part of the Japanese society is that they are getting worried in the, for their future, for food. So, uh, they're starting to, uh, indoctrinate, um, whale meat and to, uh, passive eaters, as you'd say, passive, uh, clients, um, in hospitals, in schools to get them used to the whale meat so that one day, yeah, no, no. So, I mean, in any case, so I work with her as well, you know, and so they, she works on a political level, you know, with Greenpeace and everything like that, yeah. on a political front to try to get them to to, to, to stop because the Japanese want to overturn the, the, the banning on the whales. Sorry, I went off on a banning on the whales situation, but it's just one of my things too. Um any case, yeah, I had a dream about a whale. <laughs> That's what happened. One of my birthdays, and he saved me from all these in the sea. And then all of a sudden, I realized, oh my God, I have to help the whales too. So anyway, I'm on that. I'm on that trip also. But it goes along with the whole thing. Is I think we, the world, really has to like speed up. And it's great that like you have a show like this, and whoever's listening out there, that you know that the mind and the spirit is really actually super powerful. And that we learn from the shamans, you know, from my countries in Ecuador that. Every thought has, uh, you know, the whole idea of the butterfly effect, that a butterfly in the forest, the way he moves in this forest, has an effect on the other side of the world. Um, the shamans who were very much connected with God, nature, that's what shamanism means, no, God, nature, man, is that every single thought you have actually has a percussion in the universe. So uh, it's so important, you know, for everybody who is spiritual to just always become more spiritual and to have positive thoughts and you know, and to imagine that the world is not going to end, but it's going to actually get better because, but we have to physically do something too. That was the big message of the shamans, you know, in the, about. Oh, they talk about that too, your uh, Ecuadorian shamans about. Uh... Yes, they've been very worried uh, for the last thirty years because 
it hasn't been raining for 30 years already. They were like already saying, listen, this is not going right because yeah. the the rain is not raining the, uh, appropriately up on the on our mountains in the Andes. And the Andes are the female mountains of Earth. The male mountains are the Himalayas, and the Andes are the female mountains. Mm -hmm. uh, what's special about the Andes is that it's considered the heart of, of Earth. And, for example, the Amazons around it are the lungs. So what's happening is that they're worried for the last 30 years because it's not raining up as it should. The, the cycle has stopped. It's, it's disrupted. And so the waters uh, are not going down to the Amazon the way they should be. And he said, if this keeps going on, the Amazons will die because they won't have their water, and the earth will suffocate. Yeah. So that's the scariest part. That is scary uh, what is happening. And I cannot believe that uh, uh, the uh, ruling uh, powers right now are not checking into this a little bit more. I think we're going to see a dramatic change in the next couple of years, particularly yeah. in this country. Yeah, because Obama, that's one of the reasons why I'm going to move back to America, only because Obama, I've been exiled for the last eight years. In the year 2000, I wanted to move back to America. I've been living in you know, Paris since, since, since I left Fort Lauderdale. I went to New York, yeah. and then at the age of 18, I moved to Paris, and I stayed in Paris, living between London, Paris, and Milan. And I love that life. And then all of a sudden it was 2000 and said, you know, I'd like to go back to America too because I love America. And then Bush won. And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, we can't live in America with Bush. You know, and, you know, as you know, we know a bit the family. And so we know, you know, we know the family a little bit personally. And so we know what yeah. they're like. And we just knew that it was not going to go well. And, uh, and unfortunately it's happened like that. And uh, it's been a terrible situation for the whole world. And Obama, now that he's going, now that he's won, I'm like, okay, great, we have a fresh start, and um, and I think I would like to be in America and support, you know, do my thing in America. It's uh, you know we are both American citizens, and I'm actually proud to be an American citizen. And now yeah. you can say in the world, also when you travel, that you are an American. You couldn't do that for for the last few years. Yeah, no, you can't do that in India. That's why my trip has been canceled. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so still a very dangerous thing. America is still one of the most hated countries in the world. You know, it's... Uh, Which it's is such a sad, sad thing because uh, um, I just heard a press conference with uh, the president, uh, you know, the, the, the president of today, Mr. Bush, and he said, no, they don't hate us at all in the world. And this is not true. Unfortunately, and people who are out there, they, they know that. And, of course, nice Americans, they are treated nicely and so on. But on the whole, when you hear, they hear that you are an American, they don't like you. And my daughter had big problems uh, in, the, in living in Spain, and she actually moved away from there because of being an American. And her children were teased at school and so on. No, so in Europe, I never said I was American. Never. <laughs> I was Ecuadorian. I was born in Ecuador. I have an Ecuadorian yeah. passport. Never, never, never. And, and I hope those people who are listening now uh, and who who are wonderful Americans and all Americans are yes, wonderful. We are not in any way criticizing the country. We love our country, but the, the, there has been a misconception, uh, you know, around us. Well, the, you know, the, the, America was so loved after the war. You know, it was, yeah. 
you know, it was this fresh new country with all these great ideals and it was so fantastic and they helped rebuild Europe and blah, blah, blah. And then something went wrong along the way, you know, uh, and, and, and that's really the problem. All of a sudden it became this imperialist, material, you know, materialist nation. Um, and, and, and with this foreign policy that was completely messed up, creating wars left and right. And, you know, it's just, it's very, very corrupt. <laughs> It's and been it's sad, uh, all the innocent people who have been suffering and, and the death toll uh, of all kinds of innocent people on all sides. But um, I mean, you know what really woke me up was, in, was, that's why I love art, because, you know, in art you have the complete freedom of speech and you have these incredible individuals who just say whatever they want. And there's this great art, German artist called Hugo Trouge, and he had the show in Paris, and his whole installation actually was it was with these very beautiful flowers, but there were carnivorous flowers that were dying. And then on the walls, he had actually written every single military um, interaction or situation that America had, had since World War II. And all of a sudden, I, re- I learned with a part of the show is that America kill- has killed more people in, in their foreign policy of having wars all across the world than were killed during the, uh, during the Holocaust. America is, there's something like 150 nations in, in the United Nations, I forget how many there are exactly, but America has in three quarters of them military positions. I mean, it's outrageous. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not a peaceful nation. So let's from now on make, uh, make peace and have love. Yeah, uh, yeah. We have to turn that around, and I think that that's, that's you know, that was my, that's my criticism as a constructive criticism that... And I think Obama is that character. You know, I think he's really like a messiah, actually. I have no <laughs> Many people look at him as the messiah. Oh, and is. we need the messiah, too, for sure. And, uh, uh, you know, we have been speaking very, very freely now. And uh, in and That's because you're an American citizen now. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we speak very freely in the world. Uh, in Europe, at dinner parties, everyone speaks to- politics without getting mad with each other. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like uh, I think now, this yeah. is what we have been doing now also, that we are yes. speaking politics. And someone says, oh, no, but you're supposed to be spiritual. Yes, you can be rich and spiritual. You can be political and spiritual. You just use your spiritual powers right. Exactly. And but Obama we, definitely has the light. <laughs> <He's definitely, laughs> I, I want to find out what you you know his spirit. But I think it has you know what it has to do with it. It has to do with his you know his background, his internationalism. He has these different genes. You know he's really this kind of modern. And he was hybrid. raised by uh, by women. <laughs> he was raised by women like me. I've been raised by women. Very important. Yeah. You know because yeah, yeah, I was raised all by. I women. I think that makes a difference also. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's so caring. funny. Yeah, it, it really caring. does. And, uh, you know, my, uh, my daughter is a single mom and she has the two children and I pointed that out to them that, you know, uh, uh, your mom is with you. You see what, what the single mom's mom is. My mom's with her four times, darling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a record. I don't know. You know, I actually. That is a record. I've actually I've got the interest of a Hollywood producer who's ready to do the story. He's like, we'll get Penelope Cruz to do it. I'm like, yeah, oh, great. 
Have you had a film going? You you mentioned there's a film plan or plan about making a film about you. Yeah, the the film's going to be called Glamour Saves the World, or Almost. And it's going to be a 3D film. It's going to be a kind of semi-documentary. Semi Documentary in the sense is that they are, um, it's, it's this group called Passmore Labs. They are um, one of the new studios in California <clears throat> working on you know, um, state-of-the-art 3D technology. And so when they saw my work, when they saw my art and fashion, they were fascinated. And the fact that I travel all around the world to create what I do. You know, I, I, I go to Asia and look for um, silks. I'm in India working on embroidery or looking for stones. I'm in Paris working with the couturiers. I mean, you know, I'm all over the place. And um, and so I, I spoke to them. I said, listen, I think it's really, really fascinating what I do, not because it's me, but because it is really fascinating and that from very simple objects, okay, I'll bait, I have to travel around the world to get them, but, you know, you could, you're able to create something that's quite magical. And then, of course, there are the shows, no? And so the film is, revolves around the, sh- the, the presentations that I do. So, and that's called The Garden of the Phoenix. That's the theme, and this I dedicated to a very, very dear friend of mine called Isabella Blow, who was this English aristocrat and one of the great fashion editors of all time. And she um, died. She unfortunately committed suicide two years ago. So talking about spirit... She discovered me. She's one of the people who discovered me, and she was working with me on this project, and then she died. And so for me, in a way, it's a bit of a dedication to her. So anyway, um, beyond that, we are working on this movie. So we filmed the first one in Los Angeles, and then we were going to film the one in India, but that one now has been canceled. So it's kind of like an ongoing thing. But it's going to be quite a big deal because the 3D technology is, is picking up very quickly. Like, for example, right now, when they, uh, when the film group, when the film company, they went to the different cinemas, there's 1,500 cinemas in America. They said, are you interested in Roberto's, you know, idea of this fashion, glamour, traveling around the world? And 10% of all the money goes back to the different charities, you know. In any case, so it's all integrated somehow. And, um, and they said yes. And so there's like 700 cinemas who are interested in, in, in that already. Oh. But in the next three years, in the next three years, there's going to be 10,000 3D cinemas. The the film come the film the, the five really? top film studios. Yeah, the five top in, film in the world studios. or just in no, it's just America. In the in, in the America. top five films, just in America, the top five film studios. The top five film studios um, last year committed 700 million dollars to turn the normal cinema into 3D cinemas. And so it's going to be, we're basically all going to be, when we go to the movies, we're going to be looking at 3D films. And they don't have enough content yet. You know, it's, they've just started. You now James Cameron has just started and Steven Spielberg is working on 3Ds. Everybody's just started. So, um, I hope, so we hope to anyway have our film ready in the next two, three years. So that's very interesting. So that is the next step. They're going to change things around to get, you know, people to go to the movies again. Oh, yes, because, I mean, when you watch 3D, it is incredible. I mean, you watch these things, I mean, you're like, you're almost there, it's very alive, you know, it's a new technology, and, and that's the only way, because, of course, like, you know, you know not your boat, you experience you're on the boat, I mean, in the boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're in the water and so on, so that's wonderful. We have actually gone over the recording time, but we can oh. continue uh, a little bit longer, because... 
again, this is a recorded show, so um, when it's presented later, it'll probably be squeezed back into an hour. And uh, looking back, we were we had a little bit of telephonic uh, uh, problem uh, here before. Yeah, the mercury in retrograde. Yeah. Yes, and I don't think uh, certain things were recorded and. Uh, Oh. If you remember what that was when you talked about, uh, or I asked you, how come I think you we became a fashion my, designer and your grandmother? My grandmother. And I thought that yeah. was so so nice about your grandmother since I knew her, and I thought she was a, a oh, terrific person. And our conversations, I still remember those conversations. Where really? We really uh, well, we actually got a lot, lot said between us. But I didn't speak Spanish, and she didn't really speak English, but we got, we understood each other so well. Yeah, but that's because, you know, somehow you have, your spirits were talking to each other. Yes, spiritually we connected very well, so it it was like telepathically that we spoke. Yeah, my grandmother was, but that runs in our family, I mean, in our Ecuadorian family, the whole family is all psychic, you know, we all have these powers. We never, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't accept money for reading cards because I can't do cards, but I can, you know, I am a channeler. I can channel and no. I can see things. I, I have premonitions. I meet people. I know what's going to happen to them. Sometimes it's a bit scary when you see deaths and things like this. But it's, it is very scary. And, of course, now I start to look at death as just a continuation. Exactly. But if, exactly. if I think about you as a fashion designer, someone who's just looking at glamour and cutting fabrics, hello there, you are not that kind. <laughs> you are remarkably uh, uh, spiritual and one can make a conversation with you about anything and of course we got into politics for a bit and those were the feelings and we should all have our feelings and, and you and I spoke about our feelings about that earlier too and I think it's great when one can express that in a country uh, the freeze yeah that's why we love America. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Ecuador, though, I was talking about my, about my, my, my very glamorous grandmother. You know, and grandma, we were, you know, we, uh, my father was American. He was Norwegian Irish, but he was up in New York and he was an engineer. He was building the Pan American Hawaii, the Highway. And that's where he met my mother in Quito. And because the American embassy was right next to our house. And, um, somehow or other they fell in love and then, you know, we were born later and we were, you know, brought up between these, you know, our house in New York and a beach house in Fort Lauderdale and then our house in Ecuador. But every summer we would always spend it with our grandmother because she didn't want us to become like uncivilized, as you say, uncivilized <laughs> Americans. And uh, because, you know, people are a bit snobby towards, sometimes towards the Americans because, you know, a lot of, a lot of countries are like they don't know, like Ecuador is a very old, old culture and a very yeah, old very old culture. Yes, you know it's 500 years old just from the Spanish conquest uh, and from the Incas. It's, a th- it's over a thousand years old, so and it's with a very very strong heritage and a very strong culture. So my grandmother wanted us to be brought up like that, and so we were brought up in this kind of semi-colonial, royal background, and you know having tea parties. We were all dressed up with costumes with our cousins, and we were taught how to dance the tango and how to dance the vault. And she would sing to us. And, uh, you know, and we'd have cinnamon tea and, you know, and she had this very modern house, actually. She was very avant-garde. So in the 60s, she had a Bauhaus, 
a house built on the very top of the hill overlooking the valleys of, of Ecuador all around, I mean, of, of Quito. And so if you could just imagine what it was like, you know, being young and, you know, you're, you know, I'm all dressed up in velvet and lace and <laughs> things like this with, yeah. with my cousins dancing on this terrace and behind us are lakes, you know, with giant mountains all snow-capped behind us and they're all around us. It's, you know, the seven volcanoes snow-capped that surround the city of Quito. It was the capital of the Incas, um, Quito. It was their capital. It was a golden city. The city was, full, it was, was all temples. The gardens inside the temples were all made out of gold. It was a very extravagant place, actually. Yeah. So I think that kind of flair, <laughs> that's where it comes from. You know, and then when the Spanish conquered, you know, uh, of course, then, you know, they took the temples down and they turned them all into monasteries and you know, and then the Incas were, you know, basically enslaved, uh, and, um, you know, and I come from that heritage, you know, the Villasises were, you know, a conquistador family. Oh. So, um, yeah. So it's in your blood to be spiritual and be connected to nature. Yes, absolutely. It really does come back to, I mean, Ecuador is, you know, it's really one of the most beautiful countries in the world. It's just yeah. paradise. It was called Switzerland. It was called the Switzerland of South America because it's a very tiny little country. And you see, now I'm going to see, can you tell I'm going to be the governor of Galapagos? But everybody has to go to Ecuador. It's really special. Because in a tiny little country, you're in the Andes, you're up there, you still have, and you know, especially if you're interested in spirituality, um, you have the shamans. I mean, that's a project that we're working with as well with the University of Miami. Is a program for children, for young kids called Spirituality for for kids, and, um, and who are interested in spirituality, and then they uh, can go for the summer course, and then they 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 work with uh, with the shamans, and they have a practical course. So they study uh, textbook during the year, and then they get to go there for the summer. So it's all these really interesting things do happen in Ecuador. You know, it's that's, really quite that's amazing. That's great. And I know now they also say it, the, it, it's economically not a bad idea to go and live in Ecuador. The prices are very, very good. Uh, and well, I, it's, I you know, it's, you know, unfortunately, um, us Ecuadorians are not very good at money management. And um, we are a very rich nation. But it has been, you know, very corrupt. Um, you know, there's a, there's a joke among among this. I'll tell you this joke. This, this joke says an American, an American, uh, no, a South American um, uh, congressman, whatever, you know, some official goes to America, and he says, and he comes to visit, and then he comes to visit the, the congressman's house, and the congressman says, oh, do you see that beautiful bridge that crosses the river? He's like, yes. He goes, well, thanks to that river, I have this house. And so then he's like, well, you must come visit to my country. And so then he goes to visit, the congressman goes to visit the, con the, the congressman in South America, and he goes, do you see that bridge crossing the river? No. He goes, that's why we have this house. <laughs> yeah, that's actually good. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Sorry, don't tell the joke very quickly, but that kind Ecuador of... Ecuador is, and I just have this personal question about Ecuador... Is it safe to go to Ecuador? It's not like some of these countries uh, in in uh, Latin America that you can be kidnapped and everything else. Well, uh, no, unfortunately, you do have kidnappings in most of South America now. Whether it's in Mexico or you know uh, Colombia, it could happen. In you know, I mean, we were brought up with guards at our house. You know, growing up oh, as well. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate, but. 
um, you know, you, you have extremes. You have you have a very highly civilized and evolved society in South America, but you also have very primitive, uneducated, uh, un, you know, unfortunate people who you know who have been been slaves maybe you know for hundreds of years, and all of a sudden they're they see oh my God, look at these people. They have everything. They've you know, so they don't see it as. Their their way of looking at kidnapping is not the same way we see as kidnapping. They actually are like, well, you know what? You've had all of this for so long. We want some of it. Okay, so this is, that's uh, their way of looking at it. Roberto, uh, how can people get hold of you or, or find out about you uh, over the internet? Or oh, the easiest is the site. You know, is is to Google me, Roberto. Dervilasis, and it's like you say, it's like Medicis. It's like a villa, like a house. We have a little Spanish teaching here, Villa, V-I-L-L-A, and then C-I-S, C as in cat, I as in, um, what I, I, I am, <laughs> I am, and S as in Superman, and uh, Villa C's, like Medicis, and then, you know, the world of Googling, and you find me everywhere. Yeah, Robert, Roberto de Villa C's. Villa C's. And uh, that's very good, and I can find out about you. So um, I would like to thank you so very much for being with me on the show, and it turned out into being a little bit of everything, and I'm glad, you know. (laughs) And uh, oh, one more thing, can I add something, Helena? Yes. Okay, for 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 you know for your um, listeners out there, is is that my sister has convinced me to join. Um, to apply for this American television program called Project Runway, that me being very European, being very snobby, and saying, "Oh my God!" But I'm, you know, I'm like I dress major stars, Penelope Cruz and Kristen Dunst, and big shows in Paris, and I was like, "I can't do that," you know, that's like beneath me. And actually, I realized that's really silly. That's a, it's very silly to have. A, that's not spiritual to be snobby. So I'm like, "No, no, I can't be snobby," and I'm going to apply for it. So if I apply for it, I get on it. Um, hopefully, some of your viewers will remember this and go, "Oh, I remember that kooky guy <laughs> from Ecuador." <laughs> and uh, you listeners out there, uh, Roberto is gorgeous looking. He, he looks oh, so nice. He's not good. He looks beautiful. He's 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 he's, he's very very nice looking. And, um, oh, well, that's been, that's 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 actually evolved because I've become a better person. You see, I think that goes for all of us. It's amazing how uh, you, when you actually, when one tries uh, to live a certain spiritual way, it, it turns one into a better person. I yeah. feel myself that I'm a much better person now, and sometimes I wonder, how could people like me before? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've had people tell me that now. They're like, Roberto, we like you more now. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But of course, like as, <laughs> yeah. And as you become more spiritual, your friends are changing. You're changing yes. your whole environment also, and you just connect with new people. So this was a pleasure, uh, yes. uh, Roberto De Villas. Thank you so much for being with me. And, thank you, uh, Elena. You are a spirit that has no chains. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm free. Uh, and welcome to free. America. I'll be there soon. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll have my conquest of America myself soon. Yeah. Okay. Take good okay. care of okay. yourself, okay. Roberto. Okay. And Let's hope thank you all of that. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
Bye-bye. Thank you all out there. And again, this is and this is Helena Steiner Hornstein speaking to you from Miami. And I uh, will be with you next week again. Thank you so very much. Bye-bye.